This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Kia ora everyone and welcome back to another episode of Creatively Wired. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my colleague Paul. And today our special guest is uh, visual artist extraordinaire Regan Balzer. Uh, Regan works largely in kind of painting uh, mediums, but works at all kinds of different scales from really small work to really massive work and everything in between. Does kind of performance stuff and is also an enabler of arts activity here in the Waikato. Regan, thank you so much for being here with us. Kia ora, Jeremy. Thank you. <laughs> So to start us off, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what your art is, and how you got started as an artist? Well, I like to acknowledge where I'm from, firstly. Yeah. Uh, so Te Arawa and Ngāti Ranginui are my iwi, and uh, a lot of my artwork is inspired from traditional teachings or historical events. And uh, essentially my artwork is about celebrating our gifts and the 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 feats or the, the achievements that our people have made, whether it's our own ancestors. Well, for me, it's my, you know, my tribal heritage and not only my Māori tribe, but also I have a Scottish side and Irish side. So it was about uh, researching or finding out about them and acknowledging that side of me as well, but celebrating who we are and the achievements that we can achieve. And especially for Māori in particular, because... We're often faced with negative statistics, uh, often showing that we, uh, you know, are in poverty and um, in prisons, all that sort of stuff. But there's so many of us who aren't, and there's so many beautiful stories. And so that's what I like to focus on: is bringing in the light uh, f for others to to see a different way, uh, to see that we can achieve well. So that's really my core focus. Uh, as a child, I was brought up with my grandmother, and that's because my mother was an activist in many areas. So she fought for land rights. Uh, she also fought for children's rights, women's rights, and family rights to be safe and to, uh, to yeah, um, well, she was an amazing inspiration anyway. She was a single mother, and she always uh, looked to the right side of things and it didn't matter how uh, destitute or how much she had, she always had enough to give to others, whether it was advice, whether it was a, a warm bed, um, some food or uh, helping. Yeah, so she was an amazing inspiration. So for me it was about, because I love to create and I love art, uh, Although my grandmother did say to me, art, if you, if you become an artist, 
there's no money in art. She always said that to me. And I was like, oh, well, then maybe I should be a doctor. <laughs> maybe I should be a teacher. Anyway, I was a teacher and I was not very wealthy. <laughs> uh, and it's actually not until I've gone into my passion and fully focused on being an artist is when not only uh, monetary rewards, but also uh, spiritually and um, just life in general is so much more richer because I'm doing something that I love and it's not work when I'm in that creative space. And then I get to meet amazing, wonderful people like you two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a what a beautiful intro! And it's you know the I love what you're saying about um, you know reflecting on the positive as well to kind of shift the well at least you know contribute to the narrative as you're saying of you know of Maori people and um, that really comes through a lot to me when I look at your artwork as it has this it kind of shines at you, you know, like it really has this presence. It feels very positive to me and I know that there's, I can see that there's layers of stories in there and maybe they're not all positive, but it has this feeling when I look at it, which I think maybe is reflected in what you're, what you're talking about there. Yeah, it's great that you've picked up on that, Paul. Uh, so it, it, it's purposeful in, in the selection as well. So I seemingly put random colours onto the canvas and then build it up, but actually uh, there is a method to my madness, and part of that is um, when you see my work, it's very colourful, and you're kind of almost seduced by this this movement in the works, Um, but there are lots of layers, and for me, so I don't just design the work and then paint it, I have lots and lots of layers, and it's quite a journey, uh, each layer will kind of um, reflect what's happening at that time, how I am uh, thinking emotionally. And then um, from from that, then I'll paint up the different layers. So uh, my husband, Horomon, often he'll, he'll see the painting, he'll be like, wow, that's looking really cool. And then he'll come back in and I've painted over the whole thing <laughs> and he's like has a heart attack <laughs> he's like what are you doing I'm like hang on I'm the painter and it's my piece <laughs> so I think I know what I'm doing and he's like oh so um he reserves judgment now until the, the finished product um but in saying that uh, the hidden layers for me are just as important as the final layers because they all build on the stories they all build on the history of the piece and just like we have, uh, there's a whakatauki, he kōkunga um, whare e kita, he kōkunga ngāko e kore kite. So you can see the corners of a house, but you can't see the corners of a heart. So those artworks, are, again, have those different layers of emotion and, and story that we may not necessarily know and experience unless we delve a bit further into understanding that piece and sometimes you may see something in the piece one day and then you'll come back the next day and notice something else. Yeah, so it's quite kind of fun um, and deep, but then not deep at the same time. So it really depends on how much you want to delve into the piece. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. 
And there's, there seems to be real influence of carving as well is, in, your, in your work. Am I, am I seeing that right? Uh, yes, so my grandfather was a carver. Ah, right. And uh, he carved very intricate carvings, and we have some of his pieces that have survived. Not many, though. And he carved at the Institute, uh, which is now called Te Puya in Rotorua, mm -hmm. where they've produced m generations of amazing carvers. Now, as a wahine, ka uh, wahine in, from Tauroa, so at the Institute, up till now, they haven't... Uh, their policy was that they don't teach women for whatever reason. Um, that's that's kind of the tradition that they've upheld. Mm. So for me, uh, because I also like to sculpt and work in clay, uh, for me it was a, a kind of a just delving into the, the, the carving realm and ex understanding the forms and the designs was important for me to be able to depict, depict accurately what I needed to depict. It was a little bit of a resistance to that perspective that I wasn't um, allowed to carve there. Uh, but in saying that, uh, having tried to carve, it's not an easy thing to do. So I probably wouldn't want to do it, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I'll leave that up to the experts. But it's... Um, that play with the carving has, I think, I've been able to create more depth in my work and movement. So um, it's been helpful in a way. So I kind of imagine myself carving with paint or even weaving with paint. So my grandmother was a weaver. She used to make pew-pew and korowai. Uh, so when I create my work, I'm thinking of them and their work. Another thing is... Uh, one of one of the trips I made was to Italy with my great uncle. He was ninety at the time, and he hadn't been back to Italy since World War Two. And uh, the experience of going there with him, and he was able to tell us what happened during the war, and he was actually revered as a Maori warrior because of the amazing feat that the Maori battalion effect that they had in lots of different areas, especially in Florence. Um, I really felt it there. But anyway, going there and looking at these amazing marble sculptures, these huge buildings, and the architecture, and the perfection, and the, the feet, and creating something so huge and, and so amazing, I knew didn't happen overnight. And I knew that it is possible to excel beyond what I was doing at the time. So before that, I was just making stuff. But actually going and seeing these amazing artworks that were created before we had digital anything, probably machines, um, you made me realise actually I needed to step up my game, not just because of seeing these works, but in honour of our ancestors and the hard work that they put into everything to, to make whatever they made. And if you ever see a korowai being made or a, a carving, it's a pretty amazing feat. And it takes a lot of dedication and commitment to the work. Uh, yeah, so um, travelling outside of my bubble <laughs> in Rotorua, Aotearoa, coming back, I was able to kind of see a different way uh, and 
yeah. So those kind of things have informed my work along the way. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So by you've sort of found your own way into carving without being a carver. Do you see that as a way of also honouring your... And, and as you say, weaving, is that like, do you see that as honouring your grandparents or is that more that it's in your blood, do you think, or maybe a bit of everything? Yes. Uh, when I do my work, it is an honour of them. So when I paint carvings or paint uh, or weave the paint, then it is in consideration mm. of mm. their work, yes. Mm. I love that, you know, artists are drawing in these inspirations from all over as well, that, that work in... Italy is obviously so different in style and its own whakapapa, but that, is the th that, that was a catalyst for you that made you go, oh, okay, this is where I'm heading now. Yes, and even people like Salvador Dali, so I made a special point to go to Spain mm. to his gallery that he created. And uh, it's a gallery like no other, so it's an actual building, and when you go in, you'll go up a ramp and then along the side corridor and then you end up on a different level and then in each on each level he has like a different era of his work so it was from paintings through to sculpture even through to coins um, jewellery just uh, it was amazing so uh, Salvador Dali who have people who aren't familiar with him he's a surrealist so he would paint or create realistic looking things but in a different context or stretched out or the melting clocks is quite a classic uh, Salvador Dali piece so yeah just um, inspiration doesn't come from just one place uh, but yeah it's cool to see the people who have actually see the work of people who have actually really delved deep into their own work and then be inspired by that but in your own way Mm. And I've, I've actually been to that same Dali oh, museum as well. Yeah, it was really cool. For some reason, I remember the, these had these eggs on the roof, like egg shapes on the roof. That's for, I don't know why that was an image that really stuck in my head. But the other thing that I was found really interesting there, and 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 in fact, with dedicated artist museums, is that you see the full, a much fuller range of their work. You know, so if you pick up an art book or you visit most websites, you'll see the same images and over and over again. You see the melting clocks and things like that, but it was amazing just seeing these little kind of almost napkin drawings and stuff like that, you know, little, maybe things that often artists wouldn't even really want displayed, <laughs> you know, like they weren't intended as finished works, but I think when you see the full kind of creative world in which they were playing, you start to get an even deeper insight into, you know, into what they're about. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. And so, and so many different aspects. So it's about the creativity rather than I'm a painter. Mm. Yeah, he was just pretty prolific. Mm. Mm. Very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> and us as creatives, I mean, I'm sure we're not just one, one dimensional, one aspect to us. Eh? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when thinking about the way that you embrace that creativity and the way that you work, how do you kind of start to think about a piece is there a lot of kind of conceptual considerations or is it inspired by a moment or a story or based on a commit is, is there a range of different ways you approach your work yes it def depends on what I'm creating if I'm creating a painting for a commission then they will often 
uh, give me a lot of ideas and then I'll just feel through those ideas onto the canvas. Uh, yes, that's pretty much how I work actually. Um, I won't, generally I won't plan everything out uh, and if I do, I won't stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to be boxed in. <laughs> uh, yes, so that's how I prefer to work is just be fluid but then bring it in tight and then perhaps push it fluid again and then bring it in tight, yeah. So it's kind of improvisational, perhaps? Yes, to a degree. And actually it's, the difficulty with working like that is I don't always know when the end will be, mm. unless there is a time where I have to finish. So if I've got a deadline, that's great. <laughs> yeah, makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, so do, you, so do you sketch things out first, or is it really just about going to the canvas putting on the paint and seeing where it leads you? So I'll research about things. So I'll research mm. about the look of things, the history, uh, the names, what what has happened, uh, the context that things exist in. So there is a lot of research behind it. Mm. I may sketch a couple of things, but generally I sketch on the canvas. Mm. So I don't use pencil first. I sketch with paint and then we'll um, get the dimensions and then just keep layering it up. Mm. Uh, which is why cameras are really great to have because then I can take photos of each stage because I am actually sketching but I'm not sketching in a book. Yeah. Right, so you might be painting and then referring back to the different stages as well? Like, Is that how it works? Um, sometimes, and sometimes yeah. I wish I had a delete button like the <laughs> computer. <laughs> Yeah, undo. Because like, once you yeah. paint over it, uh, you can't take it off. Undo, undo. Yeah, yeah, no, what did I do? <laughs> yeah. it's, so that research process, does that mean that often um, you have a kind of like title for a piece before you start? Usually the name for me comes afterwards. Right. Because it depends on what comes out, unless it's a specific brief and it has to fit these parameters, but usually I won't name it till after, and often won't price it till after either, because, yeah, there's a lot of factors I need to consider in the piece. Mm -hmm. mm. So is it more starting with a, a, a story or an idea, or maybe a, an issue you want to explore or something like that, and then building out from there? Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I'll just, like I'll see a person, I'll go, oh my gosh, I have to paint them and I'll just do the painting. And there's also that aspect. You know, I see something, I see an image, then I just have to paint it. Wow. Or I hear about something and then I have to paint about that event. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if it's a, uh, just a painting, painting, then, yeah, usually there's just lots of layers. And uh, The more I research, the more I know about the subject matter, the more informed the piece is and the better I feel about it. Because I can, then I can add in those other different aspects that pe people will notice if they know about it. Mm. But if they don't know about this um, thing that I'm painting, then they'll only see certain things. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and so with that across your kind of body of work, um, maybe over uh, like recently or, or over a longer period, is there some kind of particular questions that you're, or, or themes that you keep returning back to? Or is it more flexible than that? 
for me, it depends on what uh, space I'm in at the time. So for a long period, we were looking for a house. So houses were often in my paintings, yeah, uh, or a sense of home. Right. So mm. then I was painting Farenui all the time because I was searching for that our own home, our own space. And whether or not I'm aware of it, when I look back, that was the period when we were looking for a home. So those were in there. So um, I think in that context, when you see things in my paintings, I may not consciously know why they're there, but they're there. Because sometimes I'll just put something in because it feels right. Mm. Yeah. But then afterwards you might go, oh, that's what, that's yeah. what that connects with. That's right. Like, oh, for all that period I was painting blues. Oh, my room was blue that I was living in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Right. Mm. Yeah. And so we've, we've talked a little bit about your grandparents and their influence and your honouring of them. Does your mother's activism come through as well? Because that sounds like that was a very strong part of who she was. Yes. So in her activism, uh, I'd often reflect back and think, well, because she's actually, um, while she's been based in Hamilton, she's actually been uh, quite a mover and shaker in terms of connecting like the police with refuge and, and all those sort of things. She established HAPE, the Hamilton Abuse Intervention Project. And during that process, she also worked with the courts to make it easier for families to go through the system and have support, victim support, and all those sort of things. So she was uh, one of the ones who pushed for a lot of those um, things to happen. So she's quite... And she was uh, at one twice. She was the national coordinator uh, in Welling from Wellington, so she's quite inspirational. But as a child, you want to do things your own way, uh, and you don't really want to be the same person that your parents are. Just like my children aren't interested in painting or playing music, tangaporo at the moment, because that's what their parents do. So they're trying to. What they're doing is finding their own way, but, you know, with their own skills and being their own person so that they're not compared to us as well. So for me, that's kind of, yeah, uh, my work is actually inspired from her and those ones who have worked hard for us to get us to where we are now. Hmm. Uh, growing up in a safe, drug and alcohol-free environment, violent-free environment, with ample food, um, for a lot of children, that that should be that is a given. Mm. That's what should be happening. But as an adult, I find that that's not normal in a lot of families, and that actually, to some families, that's a privilege. But to me, it should be a right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thank my mother for putting me. You know, my my whole family, my grandparents. We were always safe. Um, so my work is is kind of allowing that reality to to manifest uh, amongst ones who who may not necessarily have that. Mm. That's mm. awesome. So is the way that manifests is that mostly through the storytelling, or is that about you, at the beginning of this you talked about the you know that you can put out a different narrative. Is it, is it through those 
Is that how it kind of works in that in that way? Yes, well, artwork is very much about the artists sharing their stories. So all I'm doing really is sharing my stories, my experiences, my perspectives on uh, what I see as valuable. And that's what I see as valuable is having safety and mm. knowing that you can achieve, you know, knowing there's people there, safe people out there that you can be with and that... We come from a line of hard-working, able, uh, strong ancestors that worked for the good of people. So really, those are the that's the, those are the narratives, mm. you know that that we walk in their reflection. Mm. So we walk, and when our when we do what we do, then think about them because are we doing what honours? Uh, all the hard work that they've done to get us here to this point. So that's really what I'm doing. It's just trying to honour all that hard work. Mm. Mm. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about protest art as a title, and I know you're not using that, that title for your own work, but to me often when people do go down that route of going, where the work is kind of telling you what you should and shouldn't do, and sometimes it stops being art, it becomes more like design or like I don't know you sort of feel like you're like getting kind of you're getting kind of whacked on the head with it but I, I think what I understand from your work and the way you're talking about it is it's kind of it's rather than sort of shaking the finger at someone it's kind of more um, offering another way or you know showing how things can be that's right mm. that, that this is just one one perspective one reality whether you take it on board or not, that's fine. You know, everybody has their own life to lead and their own choices. But uh, if other op other perspectives aren't offered out there, then there'll be less to choose from. Mm. Yeah, so that's right. And I think you know, creative people. There's, I think it's good to acknowledge that there's a real power in what we put out. You know, and there is a lot of we are in a world where a lot of people are putting out images of you know violence and all sorts of other things. So that also has a power. I mean, there's, it's very contentious what what effect that has, but you know, I think I think we do have power, and it's good to recognise that. Sure. I'm interested in exploring how you. I mean, we've talked a little bit about individual works and that kind of individual creative process. Thinking more broadly around some of the projects that you've done that are kind of whole exhibitions or installations or things, what is there a difference in process when you're thinking about a body of work compared to an individual piece? Uh, depends on the project, I guess. Uh, of course, when you're uh, creating a body of work, you're thinking about it in its whole context, mm -hmm. uh, whether you're going to cover everything or just a part of something but with lots of artworks. Uh, you're considering the space that it will be shown, the time factor and the costs involved, uh, who's there to support, uh, different aspects. Uh, there's so many aspects to consider, yeah. Because there's one really interesting project that that comes to mind is the project that you did for Matariki in the silos. And this being a kind of massive space, the sense of scale 
is very different. Um, and obviously there's a kind of, there's a journey for the viewer as you move through the space and also how that like, there's the bigger narrative, there's the individual rooms, there's the inter, there's a lot to kind of consider in that. I think that's, that's really fascinating how you think about the bigger picture. Yes, well, when I first went into the silos, Piata Larkin was exhibiting in there, and I walked in and looked up, and then you could hear the noise resonate all the way up uh, these huge concrete tubes, I guess you call them, uh, storage tubes, and that was it, pretty much. Uh, I needed to, I wanted to exhibit in there. But anyway, the opportunity came up. I only had two, maybe three weeks to create artworks for that space because a previous group had fallen through for the Matariki Silo 6 project. And the, the beautiful thing, well, I think I'll go back a little bit. So my artworks and uh, looking at carved, Forms. So when I did my master's, then I really researched about carved forms. And my master's show was about perspective and how we view things. Because my grandmother, she was just the most amazing woman. Uh, she, she was Scottish, of Scottish descent, and she was a farmer, so she was brought up in Morrinsville. And she was a Pākehā, so... Uh, when I would come home, because I had a mother who was really pro-Māori and, you know, we were learning Māori and all that sort of stuff, but I would always stay with my grandmother, loved her to bits, and she was just so amazing. But anyway, when things came up on the news, she would turn to me and she would go, what's going on with these Māoris? You know, what, what is this about? And it didn't matter how much I explained to her from my perspective why things were happening because she had never, ever experienced anything but a mono, monocultural view, she didn't understand that there was a different way of looking at the world and a different way of existing or a different way of operating. And so she couldn't understand my perspective no matter how much I tried and how much she loved me because she wanted to understand, but she just couldn't because she hadn't had an experience other than... Um, what she had so for me it wasn't that she was wrong or I was wrong or anything like that it was uh, acknowledging that sometimes people just won't or can't understand um, and that's just the way it is so with my artworks I looked at perspective and how we view our artworks and our carvings so myself when I see a carving I see an ancestor, I see an essence, life essence in there, and the carvings tell narratives and stories. So for me, it has a life force. But when a non-Māori sees our carvings, maybe they'll see something grotesque, maybe they'll just see a sculptural form. Um, whatever perspective they come in with is what they will judge the piece on from an outside view. So my works are often about, because they're so colourful, it's kind of bringing out that they have a life essence. They have a movement, they have a, a modi, a wairua, a spirit. Mm -hmm. And they have stories to tell. So 
going into the silos and then having the opportunity to create artworks, I decided to create these uh, large po-looking forms um, to depict the different stars of Matariki because each of them have their own attributes. But the great thing about that space is that they could come to life in a way different to just a static painting in that you can add sound. Mm. So one of the stars in particular was Pohutakawa. And Pohutakawa is the star uh, that um, and at the time of Matariki, you usually uh, think back to the year that's passed. So those who have passed on in that year, they are said to go up to Pohutukawa. So in that space, we were able to bring in that essence in terms of the music. So having music that resonated with, had taonga puru in it, but also a karanga, like a voice. And when you're in the space, it would resonate so you actually feel like you, if you close your eyes, like you're being pulled up into this, this um, kind of space up the top. And then all around the space, there was black paper. And then people could go in and they could write their um, tributes to people who had passed on. So they were interacting with it and they'd write their, their I love you, mum, all those sort of things on the wall. And then the idea was that the sound would play and then it, those names would travel up to Pohutukawa, who was way up high. Uh, so I think the ability to be able to incorporate all those different aspects in a space is, was just um, beautiful. And to be able to really celebrate that it came from a, um, a Māori context, uh, that wasn't scary and you could interact with it and it actually had meaning because people from all different cultures went into that space and could um, work in that space and contributed to it to the point where they were writing when chalk on the floor, um, they dance, they're not dancing but you know, yeah so does that answer your question? Sorry I went off track a little bit. <laughs> no that's super <laughs> interesting <laughs> and it just it's, it, it's a really profound and generous project, I think. Were you, were you able to spend time watching people or talking to them and see what, how they, it affected them emotionally? Because that sounds, I mean, as I said, it sounds really profound. Yeah, well, I would go just go in there and be a fly on the wall and just watch and you'd see them. At first, they didn't know what they were walking into because you go into the other two silos. One of them is about growth uh, and food food sources, so they were just like, oh yeah, it was quite light, and and then they walked into the space that had been blacked out, and the uh, chalk and the paint was in neon, so it was, it would glow, so when they walked in there, they were just like, whoa, kind of transported into another space, and then the music would come, and you'd see them stop, and then look, and then read all these names. And then some of them, some would just walk through, oh, yeah, whatever. But, you know, some of them you saw them stop and really just soak it in and think. And then to see hundreds of names everywhere all over the walls 
and the floor at the end is yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, so uh, and I have feedback that that it was really moving and all that sort of stuff. But you know, as an artist, you don't always take it on board because oh, you're just saying that because you're my friend or you know. <laughs> but yeah, for me, it was that was a yeah, beautiful space to be in. And then there was another space. There's three stars that represent the different water systems, um, oceans, rivers, and rain. And that was another beautiful space. You could sit in there, and it had lights that kind of made the paintings move. And then the sound that Jeremy, Soundscape Jeremy, put together was absolutely spectacular. And when I first listened to it, actually right up to the third time I listened to it, it would go through and it went through all these different um, water sounds and then it got to the thunder rolling and and then all these emotions just bubbled up and just all the tears came out. It's just an amazing piece mm -hmm. from the sounds of of the environment. Yeah, so I'd love to use that again somewhere, Jeremy. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Um. Outside of being a painter and, and an artist and, and, and in all kinds of forms and the kind of depth of thought that you apply to your own work, I um, also know that you curate shows. Um, is it a similar process for you, putting together shows that combine your work with the work of other artists, or are you thinking about it in a different way? So in terms of curating, I heard once that uh, to curate a space... You become a storyteller, so have a think about what is the story that you're wanting to tell. And then another aspect too of curating is um, you're kind of in control of how people go through the space. So within that, often I'll reflect back on, so this exhibition, for example, I curated a Tonga Pūru exhibition at the university, and it's about uh, Māori musical instruments. So I thought about what was the most appropriate way to come into that space. So when you think about a pōhiri and a welcoming ceremony, it became a karanga was at the front, so a type of call was at the front. And then when you came in, you um, honoured those who had passed. Uh, and then... As you walked down the exhibition, you came into the contemporary space. So there were artworks that were more contemporary, but had been inspired by uh, the masters or the um, Richard Nuns and the Brian Flintoffs and, of course, Hidden in Melbourne. Uh, and all of those um, who worked hard to recollect the knowledge of Taonga Pūro. So it was honouring uh, those um, original... Uh, in the past and then going through the ones that are working in Taungapuru now in their various forms, not just uh, instruments, about music, uh, film, video, painting, and then acknowledging that there will be a future, a continuation of Taungapuru. Uh, so then it came into quite, uh, yeah, the digital tech stuff. So in that layout, it was actually considering... Uh, how people are welcomed in, as well as how people view the works. So going kind of a timeline process, really, uh, through the, the exhibition. And so that's how I work, because I think about the space, 
the way people are going to travel through and what are the stories that are they're being told. Mm. Mm. That's cool. I, it's, I love hearing about people um, curating um, because everyone has such a different approach and I, I love how that, you know, really ties into, um, yeah, into te ao Māori that, that has a grounding in that. And I don't know, I always feel that we need to have more conversations about what curation is as well because I, I feel like it's not always widely understood in the, in the general public, you know. Um, and I, I was guilty of this as well at one point. I sort of think I was, was putting pictures on walls or whatever. <laughs> I was, um, sorry, all the curators are cringing now. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I know people who still think it's that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's beautiful to hear you talk about that. Um, the other thing that's come to mind is, as we've been talking about these projects is your Ihi Rangaranga project, which was um, winter this year, wasn't it? Yes. That's the second time. Yeah, it was Matariki. Oh, yes, second time, yeah. Yes, yeah, so Matariki, so Matariki last year and Matariki yep. this year. Yeah. And how, again, like, um, there's a journey to it and that it's um, it's not, it goes beyond the sort of painting that's made in the studio and, it, you know, things around the narrative are really connecting with, and the way you talked about the Silo project as well. So, um, so for, for our listeners, that was a, uh, um, we had, Live poetry and tongaporo and um, and music, um, and Regan was painting a, a, a. I don't know if I can guess how wide it was, but pretty huge, but pr pretty much a mural. Um, Five meters or something. Like Five meters. Yeah, mm -hmm. and within throughout the duration of the performance, and I loved how there were these sort of. Um, well, it, it's quite amazing, even as a visual artist myself watching. Or maybe especially, I don't know, watching another artist paint because we don't usually see that much. We see it a little bit on the streets. But as a performance, you know, there's not many people doing that. And it was really captivating. Um, how, <laughs> I guess I'm just making statements now, but I'll turn it into a question. <laughs> I guess I'm just curious as, you know, as an artist, how was that for you versus being in the studio? Like, what does that bring to your practice? I tend to paint like that in the studio as well, uh, very expressive and creative. The difference is, is that a five-metre painting in two hours, I have to get it finished. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of pressure. <laughs> and I'm just telling everyone, it's about the process, not the finished product, okay? <laughs> the finished product is amazing. Yeah, it's it? beautiful. <laughs> um, but it's fun and it's a, what's the word, a whittle? Um A challenge. Mm. Yeah, a challenge yeah. and... It really, you know, having a challenge really gets the creative juices going. And sometimes I feel like I get a bit stagnant when I'm just like, I've got all the time in the world, I've got all the resources and I'll just paint. Yeah, and it's quite self-indulgent too sometimes, I feel. Um, so I try and make it that it's not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the that process is is beautiful because it's not just about me painting a picture it's actually about the music mm. it's about the spoken word it's about the environment and it's especially about the experience of the viewers which is a different aspect to painting in my studio and being aware that people are watching you does kind of bring your game up a bit because you have, have different things you have to consider so usually when I just throw paint on a painting, I have to consider how I'm throwing the paint on. 
So maybe I'll throw the paint on. Maybe the music is very watery and there's waves, so then I'll paint it on like these waves so that visually it actually looks interesting rather than me just sticking paint on, yeah. Mm. And then in doing so through the music and the sound and being aware, then the painting actually builds up in a different way as well. So it definitely is a different experience. And because it is a performance with movement, to my experience anyway, it becomes almost more like dancing. Mm. Because the, the, you know, the way that you're applying that paint needs to make sense with what you're hearing as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you really have to consider movement, and I'm getting a bit better with that. <laughs> you um, but you have to watch out because the floor gets really slippery, so you've got to <laughs> move right. but not slip and fall over. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're watching. <laughs> do, do you have to try and put the audience out of your mind so you can get on with the painting, or is that, is that just part of it for you? Uh, well, actually, they just become a part of the room after a while because you get so absorbed with what's happening. You just have to keep an awareness on the music and the timing. Hmm. And then now and again, someone will cough or someone will <laughs> make a noise and you're like, oh, that's right, there's people out there. <laughs> I have well, no I idea what they can see, but uh, <laughs> once you get in the zone, yeah, that's, it's just great. And the, actually, one of the performance pieces that I did in Tahiti was extra special. We went to Raiatea, which is um, kind of um, in Tahiti, they say that they're the head of the whiki, of the octopus, and the waka left from there, and Raiatea is uh, one of the key islands. And uh, yeah, so we went on this amazing, beautiful journey before we did our performance, and we saw dolphins that came up to the boat and we went to their sacred marae atea, at rai atea and at taputapu atea and met all these amazing people. So when I was painting, I actually depicted our journey uh, layer by layer. And because the people were from there, they recognised the different aspects of the painting and then I would rub it out and then paint something else. And that was the first, actually, actual first one that I had, had done in Tahiti. But the reaction from the audience was pretty special because they knew that they were the only ones that saw those other layers. So they actually became mm. a part of that piece. Mm. Yeah. Becomes a temporary artwork, right? It only exists for that moment. That's for right. that audience, they experience it and then it's gone, which is quite different from... Studio painting, yeah. although it sounds like there's paintings hidden under your paintings anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but to have people actually experience and see them mm. and know they're there, but it, you can't see them. Yeah, that was mm. that was cool, and they really acknowledged that that aspect to them. Mm. And I imagine people really just love seeing their stories being told as well, or yeah. you know, imagery that really connects with stuff that's important to them. Well, that's true too. And um, Darcy Nicholas. He actually says that too in his paintings. He used to paint a lot of paintings and people didn't really buy them. He said once they started buying them was when he added elements in the paintings that were universal, that people could recognise universally. So that's trees, birds, you know, things from the environment that people can connect to in their own way. So they may not understand the other parts, but there'll be something in there that they connect to. 
Mm. And so I guess in, uh, in my work anyway, it's, it's thinking, okay, what are people going to connect to? It doesn't have to be the whole thing, but maybe there's, or maybe mm. there's an aspect of water or and something. The, and the way you were talking earlier, Regan, about your paintings, it sounds sounded to me anyway like the one of the things that you put in there for people to connect to is not necessarily objects, at least for you know all of your audience. It might be the colour as well. You know, the way you were talking about colour, you know, really draws people into some of that imagery in a in a new way. Yeah, that's right. And I was originally uh, when I was working on my colour palette, um, challenged, and uh, my supervisor said, "Oh, we may need to look at your colour palette." And then <laughs> I had to think about it, and I was like, "Well, actually, that colour palette comes from." my upbringing and you know in the sulfuric landscape there's hues of turquoise alongside orange with uh, cream and green you know there's there's all those colors next to each other so actually that was a reflection of where I was from and my childhood memories and stuff so it was quite valid but then when you look at the color palette over in Europe they're often quite subdued colors and when you look at their environment and landscape the landscape's quite like that too, whereas here in New Zealand we're very vivid, very um, vivid colours. Uh, and I, I hear that many uh, photographers will come here because of that, because there's less atmospheric interference and they can get really clear shots of mountains, that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that that colour palette comes, you know, from the from the land. That's also, if you think of a, a, a tradition of that, right, of literally colours being made of the earth, you know, it seems like a nice contemporary continuation of some of those traditions as well. That's right. And originally I did try to make uh, paint from the earth, but it didn't look very good. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit muted. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you ever get stuck creatively, or, or is there just this kind of constant emergence of ideas? Uh, I try and do something creative every day. Uh, however, that creative element will not necessarily be painting. And sometimes I'll paint, paint, paint for a long period of time and then I don't feel the drive to paint for a long period of time. But I'll still be looking at different creative aspects. So it may be digital, maybe taking photos, might be the way I make food and place it on the plate. Um, and that way I'm still developing creatively and still thinking creatively, but not necessarily uh, producing artworks for sale, per se, or people can see. Mm. Mm. Um, but definitely I ebb and flow between the types of creative activities, yeah. Mm. And that's, that's a way of creating, of keeping momentum as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, I'm... Interested personally, um, Horo and I have our new album that we're working on and, and we're lucky enough to have you create a piece for the cover and, and in response to that music and it was really fascinating for me seeing the live stream that you did of that painting in process. What are you doing when you're painting in reaction to sound? Like what is the kind of thought process there and, and how is the musical material informing the painting? 
when I think about that particular piece in painting for that for the Awe album, it was really just to get something happening. <laughs> uh, and because there were people watching, um, then I actually had to get it done and get it done there and then. And uh, it was uh, live streaming it too was was really. Uh, in consideration of our work that we'd done together for Ihirangaranga and performing in front of people. So kind of brought that aspect into it. Uh, so when I'm painting, I'll pretty much just, it's quite intuitive and free flow. Uh, whatever I feel like the colour should be, that will be there. And so when I was listening to the album, I was pretty much just flowing through. If there's like a jerky sound or a flowy sound, then that's the movement that I'll have on the canvas. And then at one point, I think there was a pukaya, so there was a call that went out, and that created that uh, pukaya form that manifested manifested on the painting, pretty much. But then there were all other all sorts of different sounds in there. Um, yeah, it was really lovely to paint to that album. It was the first time I'd done it, actually. And when, uh, from just listening to it uh, to painting to it, it made sense. Right. When I painted to it, it made sense, yeah, because I was actually listening for things. I wasn't just listening. Uh, I was actively listening, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was looking for aspects in it, and that really... Bought, drew me into the the sounds and the music. Oh. Yeah, and afterwards I was like, whoo, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting that that, so that's the first time that you painted to music. So when you normally paint, do you have a podcast or do you just have silence? Like, what's your kind of working environment? Oh, I often like? paint to music. Right. Yeah. But that was the first time I was actively. Apart from our stage performances, mm-hmm. it was the first time I was actively listening to the music for cues to inform my work. Awesome. Apart from when we do our live performances, that's what I'm doing there yeah. as well, waiting for the cues to to uh, make those shifts or add those different dimensions. So your regular kind of studio environment is just some kind of... It's music playing, music. usually Latino Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a hard rock or something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, music's usually playing. Sometimes there's no music and I'm just... My head is a cacophony of sound and thoughts and I actually don't realise there's no music happening because it's just sounds. the sound is deafening think it's because I'm tuning and thinking about my piece and then I'll stop and go oh my gosh there's no there's no music so then I'll turn it on yeah <laughs> yeah absorbed <laughs> um so we're coming up to the kind of end of end of our time here I'm just wondering what's what's the next big project for you what's the next dream project that you're looking forward to working on dream project Hmm. I know I've got lots of projects happening, but uh, I mean, at the moment I'm working on an app, but it's not really a. Um, the creative element is putting aspects together 
Uh, it's really for suicide prevention. Oh. Yeah, so it's looking at creatively how people can navigate through the app and access um, tools for strengthening, really. Um, and so if people want to um, see more of your work or get in touch to um, find out more about future exhibitions or buying work or just seeing what you're up to, where's the best place for that? Uh, so Facebook, Regan Bowser Arts, or online, regenbowser.com. And actually, sorry, there is a big project I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually working on it today, uh, just getting in my submissions. So I'm a part of the Boone Festival mural Ooh. project at Waikato University. Yay! Awesome. So I was actually working on the design, final design, and um, got it done just before coming here. So that's really exciting because I used to study at Waikato University as well. I did my teaching degree there. And um, years later, I went back as an artist and had a um, little space in one of the studios with Don Ratana and um, worked alongside his students. So, yeah, I have uh, a lot of time for that learning institution. Spent a lot of time in the um, Whare and um, yeah, so this piece that I'm creating is actually honouring all that mātauranga and support to uh, so many people throughout the generations, and then acknowledging those who are who are continuing on that legacy. Yeah, awesome. So, so people will be able to see you painting on campus November sixteen to sixteen to twentieth. That's right on a wall. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Go up and say hello to Regan and check out all the other artists who are there. True. Thank you so much for being here and sharing that amazing corridor. It's it's so great to hear the way that you think about the work that you do and, and it's very inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you both for inviting me. It's Thanks, fun. Regan. <laughs> thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.